0: 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. If you turn there then I want to pick out one verse from where we've been reading over the last few weeks in 1 Samuel chapters 30 and verse 8. So it's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 20 and also if you can get your finger in there in 1 Samuel chapters 30 and verse 8. Let us pray just as we turn there this morning. Father we just thank you for your presence among us. We pray, Lord, for your help and for your anointing upon your word today. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open. Lord, we pray for the Sunday school below us, Lord, that you would bless them, bless the teachers. Lord, we ask today, Lord, for our young people up in Port Roush. Lord, as your word is opened onto them, Lord, that you would do a work amongst them. Lord, we thank you for what has gone forth. Lord, we thank you that your incorruptible seed has been proclaimed. We pray, Lord, this morning for a good seedbed, Lord, that much faith would come, Lord, that seed would find good ground, and Lord, much fruit would come, Lord, we're praying for a great recovery in these days, Lord. Lord, we just ask, Lord, in everything that we say and do, that your name would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's turn this morning, sorry, if we would just turn over to 1 Samuel 30, verse 8 first, then we'll go to 2 Corinthians 1. And verse 20. Amen. 1 Samuel 30. We've been looking at these verses over the past few weeks. And uh, this morning I just want to pull that one verse out there in uh, chapter 30 verse 8. We know the context. We've been well versed in it over the past few weeks. And we see that how David had encouraged himself. Last week we were looking at why it's important to encourage yourself before we inquire of the Lord And to make our inquiry with faith in our hearts to believe God. And many people know this morning that God hears and answers prayer. God answers prayer. He speaks to us. And so we find here as David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? He comes with faith in his heart. He's remembered. He's uh, in his heart what the Lord has done in his life. And now he asks of the Lord, shall I pursue after this troop? Remember, he's in utter ruin. He's lost everything. They've been defeated. The army that he's with are divided. They're about to implode. And now he's encouraging himself in the Lord, his God. And he inquires after the Lord and says, shall I pursue? This is the question. This is the prayer of David unto the Lord. Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And then there's an answer. God hears and God answers prayer. An answer comes back to David. And here is the answer from the throne of grace. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. What a response. What an answer to prayer. What a word from the Lord. A promise that comes from the very throne of God. God hears and God answers prayer And God, right into the very heart of David, brings this word. David, you pursue, for you will overtake them. And without fail, you will recover all. I want to speak this morning. God's word never fails. Never fails. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, it tells us this very familiar verse, well-known. I'm sure we all know it. 2 Corinthians Uh, 1 and verse 20 and it says this for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us all the promises of God all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen unto the glory of God by us every promise there's a song that says every promise in the book is mine not right, you know that song. Yes. But every promise in this book, I want to tell you, friend, this morning, God's promises never fail. His word never fails, his word is true. But all the promises are for a purpose. And we find this here in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. They're all for the glory of God. All the promises are for his glory. And everything that he does. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy His presence forever. All the promises in this book, they're for the glory of God. Some of the translations that I've read of verse 20 don't include that they're for the glory of God. But everything of what God does is for His glory, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And 1 John 5 and 14... It tells us this. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. Praise God this morning. God hears us. If we're asking according to the will of God. And the word of the Lord comes back to David. David, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, you'll recover everything. There's a promise that God gave to David. Planted into the heart of David. And every promise. In every promise, I want to talk about three things that you'll find in every promise. Number one, you'll find a purpose in the promise. Number two, you'll find the provision that's in the promise. And number three, you'll find the power that's in the promise. What do we mean by that? You know, it's God's will to save every person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. But have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. But there's a purpose in the promise. That is the salvation of your soul. And there's a responsibility for us. What have we to do? We have to repent of our sin. Put our faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the provision. What's the provision? Calvary. Jesus made the provision in order to save us. But thirdly, there's the power. What is that? The born again experience. If any man in Christ. He's a new creature. He's born of the Spirit of the living God. So we see that there is the purpose that we have aligned ourselves to. There's the provision. And thirdly, there's the power of God in the promise. Men rose up with only the word of the Lord in their heart. Nothing else. God had said, Pursue, thou shalt overtake them. And without fail, you're going to recover everything. That's all they had. They had the word of the Lord. But when they rose up with the word of the Lord in their hearts, and when they aligned themselves to the purposes and the will of God, God gave them the purpose. There was the provision. And praise God, there was the power of God in order to bring that about. Nehemiah chapter 2, we read there of Nehemiah at Jerusalem. And it says that he rose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither I told any man what God had put in his heart. Has God put a word in your heart concerning a loved one, concerning your family, concerning a marriage, concerning the town of Balnehenge, concerning our nation? Has God planted within your heart his purpose and his plan for these days? Let me tell you, friends, God's word never changes and it never fails. But we have a responsibility to align ourselves unto the word of the Lord. We see this as David's men rise up out of the death and the defeat and the division. And as they rise up just with the word of the Lord, they're going to pursue after their enemy. And without fail, they would recover everything because they aligned themselves to the purpose of God. We see this throughout the scripture. And I want to take some time this morning to show you from God's word that this is true. This isn't just a thought of man. But this is the pattern and the purpose of God. That God's word will never fail us. But we have a responsibility to align ourselves to his word for his promise to be fulfilled. If we look at it this morning, you've got your Bibles. I want to show you this pattern in scripture. In 2 Samuel And chapter 7, if you would turn back over in the 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want to follow this through this morning that you just grasp the pattern of it and then bring it back into the New Testament and show us this morning that these are the days that God wants to show himself mighty on the behalf of his people. And we have a responsibility in that. It says in 2 Samuel and verse 7, and verse of uh, chapter seven and verse one, it came to pass when the king sat in his house, the Lord had given them rest from about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. A word comes. David hath been greatly blessed of the Lord and now he has a heart to build a house for God. In verse 12 of the same chapter, if you just follow it through. And now the Lord speaks to him and says, when all the days are fulfilled and I sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So right here we see, we're going to follow this through this morning, right here we see the purpose and the will of God. It dropped into the heart of a man that he would build a house for God. He would build a place for the Ark of the Covenant to dwell. And God responds through the prophet Nathan. Throughout this whole book, you'll find hundreds of times, And the word of the Lord came. That's when God speaks whether through a prophet or an impression in that heart. But the word of the Lord comes into the heart of David. David's desire is to build a house for the Lord. And so the Lord speaks to him. David, you'll not build this. But what comes from you? He's going to build me a house for my name. What's the purpose of that house? What's all the promises for? They're for the glory of God. Always remember that's important because... We don't want to lose our way in understanding God's purpose. It's always for His glory. When we lose that purpose, when we lose, that's why we're here, for His glory. When we lose, that's the purpose of our gathering, for the glory of God. Then we lose the provision and we lose the power. And so it's important that we remember those principles. So in his heart, he wants to build a house for the Lord. Now if you turn over into 1 Kings chapter 5, 1 Kings chapter 5, we're going to pick up now. That's the purpose. That's the promise that there was going to be a house that was going to be built for the Ark of the Covenant. Now in 1 Kings chapter 5, we're reading of Solomon, the son of David. And now he begins to share with us through Scripture the, the purpose of his life. And now he's come to the kingdom for this time. He's speaking to a king, the king of Tyre, who was a heathen king, but we'll look at him in a moment because even God can raise up and change the hearts of heathen kings in order to advance the purposes of God. But among Kings five and three, here is Solomon speaking, and he says Thou knowest how David my father could not build a house under the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side, unto the Lord put them under the soles of until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, look at what he says. I purpose to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God as the Lord speak unto David my father saying, Thy son whom I will set up upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. And then it says, Now therefore command that they hew me cedar trees of Lebanon and my servants shall with thy servants and unto thee will I give hire for the servants according to all that thou shalt appoint. For thou knowest that there is not among you any of us that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidians. So here we see that there was the promise that was given to David that a house would be built. Solomon then purposed to build the house of the Lord and in, in 1 Kings, I just want to pull back uh, just in 1 Kings 5, in the opening of this chapter, we read here, I've mentioned him already. There's a king there. Its name is Haram, king of Tyre. But look at verse 1. I want to just show you something before we see the provision. Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. And Haram was ever a lover of David. In the life of David, who is a type of Christ, we see that this heathen king, through David, his heart had been changed and warmed. He became a lover of David. This is for the purposes of God. So when we see that God had dropped into the heart of David, that there would be a house that would be built for the glory of God. That was what the house was being built for, for the glory of God. We see then in the scripture here, that there was hearts that were prepared that were made ready for the provision for the work that would come. So if you look at it just on down the chapter there in chapter 5, we see in verse 7 and verse 8, 1 1 Kings 5 and verse 7 and 8, And it came to pass, it says, When Haram heard the words of Solomon, that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, which is given unto David a wise son over this great people, And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I've considered the things which thy sentest to me for, and I will do all thy desire concerning the timber of cedar and concerning the timber of fir. So we're following this principle this morning. That when there's a promise that's given to God, when God plants into the heart of a man or a woman, the promise of God, the purpose of God is revealed. We have a responsibility concerning that promise, whether we're going to align ourselves to God's will, we pray, let thy will be done. Let thy kingdom come. It's our desire to align ourselves to the purpose of God and the plan of God. Once we align ourselves to the purpose and the plan of God, then the next thing we see in the in the pattern of Scripture, just follow it through with me. I just want to take the time on it this morning before we move on. But now we see that God had touched the heart of a king. In order to build this house, This king was going to make the provision for the building of this house. We see the purpose of God. We see the the provision of God. And lastly then, when the house is complete, what's the last thing we see in the promise? 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10 shows us here the power of God that comes to that house. In 1 Kings 8 and verse 10 it says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand the minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord do you see the pattern here The promise is given into the heart of a man called David. He wants to build a house. I want you to stay with me this morning. We are going somewhere. But I'm just taking time to show you the pattern in Scripture. God's a God of pattern. And so it's important for us to see that when we come to these promises, that we're believing God for a great move of the Spirit of God, for a breakthrough in our families. God's put in our heart His word. But we have a responsibility to align ourselves to that word. And to believe God, there's a provision has been made. But thirdly, friend, there's the power of God. When the house is complete, what happens? The glory of the Lord comes down and fills that house. So mighty was the presence and the power of a living Christ that not even the ministers ministers could minister in that house. They fell on their faces. They worshiped God because of what God had done. Now here's what Solomon says, 1 Kings in verse 8. Remember, God's word, it never fails. This is over many years we're talking here. We have skipped across them in five minutes. But this is over many years. The promise of God is now fulfilled. The power of God is the fulfillment of that promise. But here in 1 Kings 8 and 54, it says these words. And so it was when Solomon made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that has given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Now listen to these words. There has not failed one word of all. His good promise. Would you say amen? amen? Not one word. What God has said and His word. I want to encourage you saints this morning. This word never fails. All around us, there's failure. All around us, it's failure. The system is broken. Man's heart, the Bible tells me, in these last days, man's heart are going to feel them because of the things that are happening in this earth. Men's hearts are failing them today all around us. In Egypt with Joseph, it says that money failed. The Bible tells us in the last day we're heading for a bankruptcy because money's going to fail. Cash is going to fail. That's what the Bible tells us. We're coming to a cashless society. We're moving there rapidly. We're seeing the bankruptcy of every system and every structure that we have in society. But one thing that never fails is God's Word. Never will God feel in these days. We stand on the promises of Christ our king. Man's hearts and the heart of man, man's hearts are feeling them. They see what's happening in our world. They see the destruction. They see the change in our society. They see the breakdown of of our morals that were held because there was a God-fearing nation. But now they're plummeting. It's shaking all around us. Everything that can't be shaken is being shaken. But Solomon says, one thing that will never fail is God's word. Everything of what God has said, it's true. And it has come to pass. When he planted that word in my father's heart all those years ago to build this house for him. We aligned ourselves to the purpose of God. We've seen the provision of God. How he superabundantly provided for that purpose. But lastly, the crowning and moment of that promise was the supernatural power of God and the glory of God that was in that temple. And so he says... Now, there is not one word field of all his good promise, which he's promised by the hand of his servant Moses. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments when he, which he commanded of our fathers. We see the principle and the pattern of the promise. There's a purpose, there's the provision, and there's the power of God in the promise. So when God drops a word into your heart, when he speaks into your heart and gives you a word, the first thing we must do is align ourselves to his purpose and his plan. His provision will come but lastly, friends, it's the part of a living Christ that we need to see his glory in these days. We look at it again if you go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8. These patterns I want to show you this morning from God's word. And encourage us today that we're aligning ourselves to the purpose of God. Exodus 3 and verse 8. God's about to meet a man at the back of a wilderness. He's 80 years old. Many people might have said that it's over, but not with God. God's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of age. God's just looking for men and women that have a heart after him that want to serve him. He finds this man Moses at the backside of a desert. And the word of the Lord is going to come into his heart. In verse 8 it says... I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. That's my people. Bring them up out of the land. Onto a good land that's large. Onto a land flowing with milk and honey. Onto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezerites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. I'm going to bring them in to this land that's flowing with milk and honey. This man is at the back end of a desert. He's 80 years old. We know the story of Moses. He's filled the Lord. He's run from the things of God, from his family. He finds himself right out at the backside of a desert. And God appears in that burning bush that did not burn up. And now God's about to plant into that heart the very purposes of God, the plan of God, God's will right into the heart of it. Isn't it amazing? You know, most of us would say that it's over for Moses but it wasn't over for in the sight of God. And so God impregnates him with his word and his purpose in Exodus chapter 3. Now we see the purpose was to deliver his people and to bring them out and into the promised land. In order what? Remember what's the promises for? The promises are for the glory of God. There's a purpose, there's the provision, and also there's the power. So we read the story, and we'll skip over it quickly, but we know that God brings his people out of Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea. We see the wonderful provision of God, and this is all a type of Jesus in Psalm 78. Remember, Psalm 78 verse 24 gives us the great catalogue of God's great benefits and God's great mercy upon his people. But how was he going to feed them? It tells us in Psalm 78, 24, He rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven. Man that eat angels' food, he sent them meat to the full. Jesus tells us that that was all a type of him. He says, I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. What did they drink? In 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, it says they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock, who was that rock? That rock was Jesus Christ. So now we're seeing the purpose of God. A man at the back end of a desert believes God. And now he goes back in to Egypt. He sees a great deliverance by the hand of Almighty God. He leads them out. And now we see the provision of God. We see God fed them. We see God watered them. We see God led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We see God in his faithfulness leading them through that wilderness to bring them right up to that place, Jordan, that they would cross in into that promised land. We see God in His mighty power, and His provision as He begins to lead His people because they believed His promise. There was two out of two million believed Him that there was a land that they could go in to possess. Two million didn't believe, but the two that did believe, we've seen a generation born that were going to cross in and believe the promise of God. When you get to the end, Of Joshua's life. In Joshua chapter 23. We read there as he looks back over these years. These decades he's looking over. And in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 23. Joshua. These are like his last words. I've been reading a lot about men's last words over the past few weeks. We looked at David's last words. I've been young now I'm old. Never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. They looked over their life to see the faithfulness of God. Here's Joshua. He's about to look over his life. And this is what he tells us. Joshua 23 verse one came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. That Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges, for their officers and said unto them, I'm old. And stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. God's fought your battles. God has brought you through. Behold, I've divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out out of your sight. Remember, when there's a promise, there is the, the purpose, there is the provision, but there's the power of God. Here's a people that are going in. They're armed with nothing. The only thing they have is the word of the Lord. They're going to come up against giants and armies and great cities. But God is going to show his great power. And it says here in the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you. He shall drive them out of your sight. Ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Be you therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law. In other words, what he's saying, don't depart out of his purpose and his plan. Because if you do, there's consequences. Listen carefully, because this is important. You can have a wee promise box, box in the house. And get the wee bit of paper and pull it out and say, there's a promise for me. But there is a condition to all the promises of God. And we have to walk in the purposes and plans and the will of God for that. Ye shall possess, but be there very courageous to keep. Do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turn not aside from them to the right or to the left. That ye come not amongst these nations. These that remain among you neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, neither bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done unto this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations strong. But as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. There's the power of God. One man. Think about it. One man is going to go up and chase a thousand. That's supernatural, isn't it? Is that a natural thing? Have you seen one man against a thousand? What would you think? No chance. But God's saying, you're walking in my way. You're believing my purpose. I'll make provision for you. But when you go into this land, one of you are going to chase a thousand. Now here's the supernatural part of God. How are they going to pull cities down? How are they going to see walls fall to the ground? How are they going to see giants defeated? How are they going to see the impossible brought down? They're going to believe the promises. They're going to walk in his purpose. They're going to believe and draw on his provision. And he's going to be faithful with his supernatural power. Take good heed therefore to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Verse 12, then he warns us. Else if you in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, scourges in your side, thorns in your eyes, until you perish of this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now he says this, verse 14, to close this side. I want you to pick up on it. And behold, This day I'm going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts and all your souls. What does it say? Would you read it out with me this morning? That not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. And not one thing has failed thereof. Would you say amen? Are you seeing the principle of what we're showing you this morning? We're seeing the pattern of God. There's a promise. There's a purpose of God. And as people align themselves to the purpose, this is so important because the cry of our day is to see a mighty move of the spirit of the living God. You know, throughout this week, I've been listening just to those snippets, those testimonies of the Hebrides revival. It's, it's so encouraged, but it's so profound and it's so mighty. Because here on this little island of of people that were living, he said, before the revival came, there was utter darkness. It was death. The church was dead. It was powerless. It was bankrupt. There was nothing. There was just people going to meetings and coming out. He said that there was no young people in the church. Those two old women that, that, that prayed through, you know, those two old women, you see a wee picture of them with Duncan Campbell. They got a burden. Two old people got a burden for young people. They believe there's something wrong today that when the young people are being lost to the world and the church is empty from the young people coming so they began to pray to believe God that God would do a work to bring the young people into the church and they're all dancing in that dance. There's over a hundred of them and when the power of God came down one hundred young people left that dance cried out to God for mercy were wonderfully born again and the churches were filled with young people. You see, friends, there's the purpose of God. There's the provision of God, but we need the power of God. And it begins when we align ourselves. You know, that New Testament church, we read there the three years of the ministry of Christ, and we see all the struggles within that group of men. We see them arguing over who was the greatest. We see the the divisions amongst them. We see all their great statements. We we see all the, the scheming and the plans. We see James and John where they're going to sit and their mother trying to promote them into the house position. We, we see all the activity of man. But then we see the Lord Jesus Christ and all his glory and all his power. And he's walking to Calvary. And his eyes are fixed, thank God. And his face was fixed. And he goes all the way to Calvary. And he hangs on a cross. And he gathers up a man just like David's army, who were defeated and deserted the Lord, but he gathers them up under the banner of the cross. And now we see the provision of Calvary, and we see the glory of God. And an army spill out onto the streets of Jerusalem, full of the Holy Ghost and power. And this world is turned upside down. And surely is it not an hour? To align ourselves again with the purpose and the plan of God. It is for His glory and His glory alone. It is for His glory and His glory alone. To align ourselves to His purpose. To draw on the provision of the cross. And the full atoning work of Calvary. And the power of a living Christ. Friends, prayer means die. You know, I was reading about those prayer meetings, And one wee man was saying... I mentioned to the other night he was saying, I think we're better just cancelling. We're down to about three. We're better to close up here. Just finish the prayer meetings. People are too busy. And so in his heart, he got up on the Friday night. He's about to close it. But it just within him, him said, we'll keep it going one more week. There's only three of us, but we'll keep it going. We'll just keep it going. You know, if it was a business, and thank God it's not, But sometimes if you looked at it, better to wrap it up. But it's not a business. You see, there's a promise that's been planted into the heart of God's people to believe God for a mighty outpouring of His Spirit in these days. And so the old man got up the next week. He was encouraged because the congregation had doubled from three to six. And so, well, I was going to close it that Friday night. But at the end of it, he just left it. There were six of them. But the next Friday night, revival came. Imagine if he closed it. Imagine if he just wrapped it up. Imagine if he was just too busy. Imagine if he just closed it all down. Friends, this morning, it's 70 years since that last outpouring of the Spirit of God on these islands, the Hebride Islands. 70 years since these shores have been visited with a revival. I would say you'd agree with me. Our land is in great need of a move of the Spirit of God. We are losing our young people like never before. Suicide. Mental breakdowns. You know, I visit those mental homes nearly every week. I tell you, friends, I walk past a young girl of 20. My God, disturbed, 20 years old. The world around us is failing. We're coming to the very end of it all. Christ is about to come. The church is asleep. Friends, we need to align ourselves to the purpose of God. What's his purpose? Because we look at it and we say, where's the power of God? Where's the glory of God? Drawn on the provision of Calvary. Friends, I tell you why. Because most of the purpose in the church today is self-serving. It's for self. It's for promotion. It's for ourselves. But when it's for the glory of God, we can draw on the provision of heaven and all the glory of Christ. And the power of God will come again. The sad thing is, friends, and the days in which we're living, and the sleepy state of the church, and the apathy and the lethargy, the lethargic ways that there are today, friends, we need to align ourselves again to the purpose of God. Why? Because not one thing will fail according to his word. We have a responsibility to the purpose. What is the purpose? God gave a promise in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. which you turn to it this morning? Here's the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1 and verse 8. Here's the promise. Would someone read it for me this morning? Acts 1 and 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Someone read it out this morning. Praise the Lord. How many people believe that this morning? How many people believe? That's the words of Jesus Christ. How many people would you say amen if you believe in? Amen. This is the word of the, this is the promise of God. Remember what we're talking about, the promise. Remember the promise. What's in the promise? There's a purpose. What's the purpose? Ye shall be witnesses for me. That's the purpose. You know, salvation, God saves us. But you know what the chief end of that is that Jesus is glorified. When God Do you know what it is? When he saved you, Jesus is glorified. And so now we're reading that there's a promise of power to be witnesses for him in the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's a promise. What's the purpose? The purpose of God was the salvation of souls, of men and women, and ultimately every man and woman that's saved this morning, it's for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why you're saved. That's the purpose of God. Man's chief end is what? To glorify God. That's the purpose of your salvation. And to enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose. And where's the provision? Remember where the provision is. The provision is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1 and verse 19, would you turn over? Ephesians 1 and 19. When we align ourselves to the purpose, look at the provision in Ephesians 1 and 19. And what is the exceeding greatness? of his power to usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things, Under his feet, give him, that is Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The full provision of Calvary. Everything of what Christ has accomplished through his death and through his resurrection and through the shedding of his own precious blood. All the provision for the purpose of God is found in Calvary. There is nothing else outside of Calvary, friends. There is no other means of provision for what we need in this world but Calvary. Someone said to Trevor, I think it was you this morning, Calvary covers it all. It's all the provision of God is in Christ Jesus. That's in Calvary. But then He gives us a promise. He said, as Jeff read this morning, Acts one and eight, "Ye shall receive what par." After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the power of God. The purpose, they aligned themselves. You look at those disciples, their lives are there for us to read. But friends, it was it was a bit of a shambolic crew, really, when, when we're leading up to the cross. In the end, they all deserted him. There's, there's divisions, there's all the arguing, there's all the bickering, there's all the who sits where, all this stuff's going on. You'd think after 2,000 years it's changed. Wouldn't you? But it really hasn't. But yet if our desire is to truly see the the Lord move in these days to the salvation of souls, we want to align ourselves to the purpose of God. What's that purpose? It's the glory of Jesus Christ. Nothing else for His glory. Not only is there the glory, but now we see the purpose, now we see the provision but he says there's the power of God. Amen. Friends, there's a lot of things failing. One thing I'll never feel is the word of God. Jesus told us three things concerning his church. Three things. I want you to remember as we close. Three things that the church should be engaged in. Just three. There's other things around it. Thank God for them. But three main things. One thing is my house shall be a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said. Second thing that he told us, that we're to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of preaching. We want to replace preaching with every type of other entertainment today. But friends, it's through the foolishness of preaching. That's how God has chosen it. And number three, the power of God to be a witness for him in this world. Prayer, the preaching of the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I would put to your friends, this morning, in a broader sense, that the church has come a long way away from those three priorities. We have a lot of other things that fill the time. But it's prayer, it's the preaching of the gospel, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. That's all we need. That's what Jesus said. And so as we align ourselves to the purpose of God, to the purpose of God, we need to see the reality of God again in these days. Why? There's a couple of old women got a burden for young people. They began to pray. They began to seek the Lord. They began to call out to God because the church had no young people. They had no young people. It was dead. The format was dead. But yet they began to believe the promise and pray the promise of God. And God came. You know, they were saying there was mighty manifestations in the Hebrides revival. They don't talk about it much because that's not the focus. But they were saying as the ships would go around the island, the sailors were gripped with a sense of the presence of God as God visited, that we place. The presence of God, gripped with the presence of God. Friends, do we need the presence of the Lord? The conviction, the power of conviction on lives, the manifest presence of conviction on lives. Where people align themselves only for the glory of God and the purpose of God, the provision of God and the power of God. The Holy Ghost conviction. Gripped with the conviction of God. The reality of hell. The reality of heaven. The reality of sin. The reality that Christ is about to come. Whether he comes or calls. The men and women weren't ready. It brought men out onto the streets to fall on their knees and cry out for mercy. Friends, surely in the day we're in, we need to see that again. We need to see the manifestation of the conviction of the Holy Ghost. We're living in the very last, I believe this, of the last days. We're living in the very last of the last days. We have seen the wickedness rise. Daniel tells us about the increase of knowledge. We've seen the wickedness rise. We've seen the despair. But friends, let me tell you, not one word is going to fail. Everything will come to pass. We're living in the days, as we heard on Wednesday night, we're living in the days of prophecy being fulfilled, but oh, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do we need revived? Do we need God to come? Do we need an awakening? Do we need to align ourselves to his purpose? I want to tell you, friend, you'll not be disappointed if you align yourself to the purpose of God. There's the full provision and there's the power and the fulfillment of the promise. Friends, let's align ourselves to his purpose today. Let's believe him that we'll recover all without fail. Let's pray together.